Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And we're going to stop there and we're going to dive into the next part of the passage over the next few weeks. <clears throat> I have set as a, as a cornerstone of, of who I am and my ministry this simple phrase that I want to share with you today. Radical obedience. Radical obedience. To just listen to the voice of God and go where he sends me. And as you can imagine, this gets me in all sorts of weird situations. I had a situation where someone came to me from another country. A guy moved into the street where Mill Hill East Church is that I pastor. And he was Russian. I've got a lot of Russian friends, they're great people. But this guy, he was like a TV Russian. He came in looking like a gangster, in a suit, very smart. He had the accent. He was very serious. He looked like he could do me some damage. And he said, I've just moved into the area. I own many businesses. I said, of course you do, because you're a TV Russian, right? You're going to fit all the stereotypes. He says, I own a few bars and restaurants. But I have this one restaurant, and I think it's cursed. Now, I don't really know what my theology is of cursing restaurants. But I've determined myself to be radically obedient to the voice of God wherever it comes from. He said, will you come with me and pray for my restaurant? I said, of course I will. Um, this was on a Sunday service, so he said, I'll come and I'll pick you up tomorrow. So the next day he turns up, and of course, he's in the flashiest car with blacked out windows, and he's like, get in the back. And I jump in, and he's there with his supermodel-looking Russian wife. Um, <clears throat> and they're all right, right, let's go. Let's. And they say, have you done this before? I say, no, of course not. <laughs> I'm just going to follow you wherever you go. And they take me to this uh, smokehouse. Um, and they say, you've got to pray for this place. It's, it's cursed. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I've got my Bible, so I read some, read some scriptures. They're like, we'll just let you do your thing, and we'll go off, and we'll do some cooking with the chefs. So I'm like, sure. So I'm praying. I'm praying in tongues. I'm calling out scriptures. I'm laying hands on places. I'm like, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm pretty sure I'm doing this more for their benefit than for you because it doesn't really make too much of a difference how I pray. But God, do something. Bless this place. I want these guys to know your power. They've, they've called out to you. I don't know if they believe in you. God, change this, uh, this business. And then uh, I decided to pray for this guy and for, for his, uh, his to-be wife, I found out. I lay hands on them and I said, God, I pray you bless them. I pray anything that has been spoken over them, anything that would hold them back, you would break it in Jesus' name. And uh, I waited for something to happen. I waited for some goosebumps or for them to 
be filled with the Holy Spirit or suddenly a whole queue of customers to come round the corner and demand that they would have brisket and ribs or whatever it was they were selling in this place. And nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. And they said, right, let's, this is a good day. Let's sit down and eat. thing is, I've been vegetarian since I was seven. <laughs> but I've prayed this prayer of radical obedience. Whatever people put before me, I'm going to eat. So I sit down while they pull out all the finest steak and brisket and smoked meats they possibly could, just a table full of meat. And I've never felt so sick in my life looking at this meat going, oh no, what's happening here? And I just go, right, this is it, God. Please let me not be too sick. (laughs) When you're vegetarian and you've not eaten meat and you eat meat, it it is a heavy thing and it makes you feel pretty pretty woozy. Um, So I decided to eat this stuff. They took me home. And I've never seen them since. I have no idea if those prayers worked. I have no idea if that business is now flourishing and they're off spending the many millions that they've made because of the blessings of God. I have no idea if this couple have come close to God. I've walked past the house they were supposed to be moving into on my street and they're doing lots of building work there. I don't know if they've moved in or not. I have no idea. And this story is a little bit like that. It's a confusing story. As a starting point, we have the Roman Empire, and the kingdom of God. And they are so different. We're in Caesarea, right? It's named after Caesar. It's a big port. It's a big center. It's where the ruler of this region and this district would have been. And this is kind of the opposite of the Jewish kingdom, right? You have this empire in another country, in another place, that is ruling this kind of vassal state, this client state, And then you have the kingdom of the people of God where one of their own, one of the families, one of the tribes that they know has a king on the throne. There's a real difference between the two, right? There's a difference between the kings of the line of David who are with the people, who fought for the people, who belong to the people and being ruled by a foreign empire. And this tension is a tension that Jesus stepped into. We know this, right? You've probably heard sermons on this before. We can think of stories like when they ask Jesus who to pay taxes to, when they try and trick him in different things. And yet, the book of Acts, as you probably know, is also kind of one and the same as the Gospel of Luke. And this isn't the first time we come across a centurion. A centurion and all that he represents, right? A Roman soldier, seemingly the opposite of God's chosen and beloved and holy and precious people, In Luke 7, it's a centurion who calls out to Jesus and says, can you heal my servant? You don't even need to come, just say a word. And Jesus says, I've not found faith like this anywhere in Israel. When Jesus dies on the cross, it is a centurion who is the first to call out in worship. And he says, surely this man was innocent. I don't know if you're like a a Russian gangster. I don't know if he's a gangster, but in my head, he's definitely a gangster, this guy. Um, I don't know if you're like a centurion, an enforcer of the Roman Empire. But I know that probably a lot of us are seeking change. We're looking at circumstances and we're desperate for change. We've had a dramatic change in our politics yesterday, right? Uh, We got on the metro this morning with my four-year-old and he looked at a picture And he said, who's this? And my wife said, it's Boris Johnson. And he said, 
is he a good guy or a bad guy? Because that's how he thinks. And I said, hmm, not quite either. He's just a silly guy. That's kind of his vibe, is this silly slapstick sort of thing. But we're in this time of change, right? What's the change that Boris Johnson is going to bring? Well, in his words, it's, it's mostly about energy and optimism and positivity. <laughs> we're desperate for change. We're looking around in society. You might be like me. I'm from Manchester. I'm used to cold and wet. You're desperate for the weather to change right now and for it to get cold. What is it about this story that makes it such a pivotal point of change? Because this, in Acts 10, this is the moment when the gospel just goes berserk, right? This is, this is kind of our heritage. This is the point where we look back and go, wow, we, this kind of diverse, multicultural group of people in this room, we can probably look back and say, this is the point, this is the moment when it all decisively changes in the early church. Peter and Cornelius, this incredible story. What is it about this story? What is it we can learn that is going to help us as we seek change in our lives? Well, the first thing is that this centurion is a pretty unlikely person, but he's aware, right? This is a centurion from Caesarea, the wrong man from the wrong place, known from the Italian cohort, so probably from Rome, the ruling place itself. But he's a devout man. He fears God with all his household. God-fearer is normally um, a title for someone who follows the ways of Judaism without being a part of the people of God. Yeah, They might be someone who just goes, do you know what, I don't believe in all of these different gods that we have, I want to just follow the one God. He feared God with all his household, so he leads his household with him, which says a lot about him. He gives alms generously to the people. You know, it's been said that if you're not sure where God is calling you next or what the change is, start with serving the poor, because that tends to be the base note throughout the Bible that carries through. That tends to be the starting point. That tends to be the place where Jesus reveals himself to people more than ever. So he's giving alms generously to the people, and he prays continually to God. So if you want to seek change, I guess the first thing that we learn from that is let's have an awareness. Let's have a God-orientated life. If we feel stuck, let's ask ourselves those questions. Are we fearing God? Is he the one who captivates our vision? Are we with the people that God loves to be with, giving generously to the poor? And are we praying? Are we opening ourselves up continually? Carries on in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day. He has this outward orientation, but he has in his life a rhythm of prayer. A rhythm of prayer. That's the same hour where we see the healing earlier on in Acts at the temple gate. And it says that Peter and John were on their way because it was the hour of prayer. In fact... The ninth hour was the hour when Jesus prayed on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Actually, if you're looking for change, if you're looking for something different, one of the things that will really help bring you into a position and a posture where change can happen is being in a rhythm of prayer, a regular rhythm of prayer. Actually, it's steadiness. It's doing the same things over and over that put us in the place for something new to happen. Often we think if we want to 
bring about change in a dramatic way, we've got to do something dramatically different. But actually, it's just the simple rhythms that we put in our lives. And as he prays, an angel comes to him, which is an astonishing thing, right? And he says, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. That language of memorial, that's Levitical language. That's language of sacrifice. That's God saying, your prayers and your generosity, your openness to God, your love of God and your love of neighbor, that's your sacrifice. That's the thing that's brought you to God. Again, often if we're thinking about change, you know, I, I have this, um, it's probably quite cynical of me, so please forgive me, but I have this cynical thing where if I need a bit of a laugh, I sometimes flick through the silliness that is some of the Christian channels on TV and you listen to these guys asking for money and it's quite bizarre sometimes how they take Bible passages about hope and life and salvation and turn them into requests for money and planes and clothes and all, all that exciting things. But actually, there isn't a need for you to sow your seed in a certain place to bring about change. There isn't a need for you to be prayed for by a certain man of God. There isn't a need for you to go to a certain conference or push through to a certain place. This is Acts 10. This is post-Pentecost. This is the Spirit poured out on all flesh. And the way that we bring about change is just through coming to God. Through coming to God, that's the sacrifice that we need. That's the difference maker that we need, to just call out to heaven. But I find something fascinating in this. An angel doesn't come to Cornelius and say, let me tell you the gospel and believe in Jesus. An angel comes from God and says, you need to go and speak to Simon. You need to go and speak to Peter. Isn't that a fascinating thing? I think often when we're seeking change and we're seeking something new, we're expecting in that place of prayer, in that place of desperation, for us to open up our Bible and suddenly flames of fire to leap out and suddenly form themselves into an image of the place we're supposed to go. And time and time again in the Bible, what happens is God speaks through people. I think there's a habit now when we want change for us to retreat into ourselves, for us to find an app, for us to find a rhythm, for us to find a place of, I just need to go off on my own. And actually, when we are seeking change, we need to understand that God works through people. God, again and again and again, he confines the most powerful message ever, the gospel, the hope of life and salvation. He confines it in our words, in our flesh, within people. So if you want to seek change, get yourself around the right people. But one of the interesting things, and we're going to dig this out as we explore later on in this passage over the next few weeks, is that the angel says, bring Simon to you. Bring Simon into your context. Now, obviously, we're going to look at how this is a dramatic change for Peter. This is a, a huge change for him. But actually, there's a sense of, do we allow when we're seeking change, to allow God to speak into our context where we are now, into our rootedness. Because actually, if this centurion had just gone to Peter, he would have heard the gospel, right? He would have believed in Jesus. But when he brings Peter to him, notice what happens later on in the passage. The Spirit is poured out on him and all of his household. 
all of his household, everyone he is leading, responds to the gospel and is baptised. By bringing Jesus into his context, it didn't just transform him, it transformed everyone around him. And sometimes we think that the change that is going to come is us breaking out into a new situation, us trying a new ministry, a new job, being in a new place, doing a new thing. And actually, often the change of God comes when we're doing the same ordinary thing, filled with the Spirit, filled with the power of God. So if we're seeking change, what do we learn from Cornelius, this unlikely person? We learn that there's not a formula for change, but there's an orientation. When we're in a rhythm of generosity, of openness, of prayer, we are in the place where God can speak to us, where God can bring change. And there's something about that. Think of those three things. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. I think we're in a culture, not of devout fear and leading people in one direction, but we're in a culture of discontinuity, of change your life by doing something different, by being as free as you can. That's a little bit countercultural there. He gives arms generously to the people. And we are in a time when our politics and our culture, our way of life is turning inward where we're very insular, where we define our outside world by our inward identity. And actually, I think if we want to see change, it's time to reorientate ourselves outwards. And finally, just as Cornelius prays continually to God, we're called to be open in a culture that is closed, that is about tightening and defining things. A couple of weeks ago, I got a call, and I got asked to go and bless another place. Now this time, right, it's happened before, okay, I know what to do. It was a, a nursing home down the road. It actually opened up once and gone bankrupt and had to reopen again within the space of about two years. And um, this beautiful lady called me and said, please can you come and just pray a blessing for this place? Um, we just, it's something I've always done wherever I've worked and I want you to come. So I walk just down about five minutes walk past our church and I come to this place and the whole journey there I'm going dear God please tell me what to pray because I felt like last time there was so much um, heat but not enough light what do you want me to pray and I felt God really just remind me of Jesus sending out his disciples before him and just said just wherever you go pray peace pray peace I come into this place and there's another person from a different culture this time it's an American Gosh, we won't say much about Americans in this place. Um, it's this American nurse. And eventually, he gets his boss, who's the one who called me on the phone, and she comes out, <clears throat> and she says, please come and pray. We're going to go on, on the upper room. I've gathered just a small group of the staff. Come and pray. And this American, you can see he's a little bit uneasy. And he says, do I have to come? And she says, yeah, it would be good if you came. So she led me up. And this time I prayed and I just started off by reading some words from Romans that I felt like God wanted to share with them. I, I prayed for hospitality, but I just said, you know, Jesus just asked that his followers would just go and just pray peace. So could you stand with me and we're just going to pray for peace to be on this place. And this time, as I closed my eyes and prayed, I felt the Holy Spirit come. 
I felt a real change. And as I was praying, I could feel, I could feel the little goosebumps on the back of my neck, and it wasn't the air conditioning. <laughs> and I just started to hear a sound. I hear a weeping sound. And as I finished the prayer and opened up, there's about three different staff members in tears. And the guy, he was so hesitant to come and be prayed for, had to turn away because he was sobbing so much. And as I spoke to him, he just said, that was beautiful. That was beautiful. And the woman who had invited me in, the manager, just said, wow, something changed then, didn't it? And I said, yeah. Yeah, it has. And as I left and I started walking back to my church, I was just so overwhelmed by God and his goodness. And when he shows up and he brings change. When actually when we have that rhythm of just openness of, I'm just going to go and pray and let God do the rest. That I might feel stupid and not know what I'm doing. That it'd be really easy for me to go, do you want to call the Catholic? I think they have a ritual for this. I think they know what to do. I'm not really sure what I think about praying blessings for buildings. That actually just having that orientation of openness, God just came and blessed and did what he wanted to do. I was so overwhelmed, I ended up, um, I'm not really told anyone this story, I, I, I ended up just kneeling in the street and just thanking God and just saying, wow, you are here in this place. You are here in this place. And I felt God say, something's changed. I don't know what that is. I'm hoping that's going to be a big change for Mill Hill East and for our area. I hope it's going to be a big change for the church. I'm praying that there is salvation, that there are people who are going to come to faith because of that prayer and God pouring out his spirit on that nursing home. But I just wonder, as we sing a final song together, I'm going to open up my pad and try and remember what final song we're going to sing. Um, I just want to invite you to join with me in just having that posture of openness that Cornelius had. So why don't we stand and let's pray together. One of the things I like to do when I pray and I invite the Spirit is just put my hands out. It's just an openness of surrender. It's just me physically on the outside saying, God, I'm here, I'm available. Whatever you would put in my hands, I receive. And I just pray now. For those of you in this room who are seeking a change, I pray that as you open your hearts to God, that just as Cornelius and his whole household found, you would find the change that comes through hearing the gospel once again. I pray that you would be filled with God's spirit once again. That you would know his power at work in your heart and in your life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.